0: Welcome to the IHEMP Hour. It's Thursday, December 1st, and we have some exciting news to share today. Looking forward to our guest. Uh, IHEMP Michigan's mission is to educate, inform, and promote the research, development, and cultivation of industrial hemp. So we're here to join today. uh, Blaine Bechtold, he's on remote location. How are you doing, Blaine? Hey, I'm doing good. No, I'm back at the home office, David. This looks like a remote location. I wish Mm, I I could a room like that. So
1: yeah, I'm back at the home office
0: tell your secrets man.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah we're glad to be back home and uh, things are moving along good so we're happy for that for sure and hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I know I did and uh, of course I, I'm excited because uh, basketball started so yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah mm-hmm. exciting times and yeah. uh, you know let's let's dive into our guests here. We This is exciting. I'm real excited to hear what what's going on with these two guys they got some interesting work going that's really important so blaine uh why don't you tell okay all right well we have uh, two great uh,
1: people on the show today we have james de decker going to join us and we have phil abetti yeah there's james and
0: there's phil so james why don't you uh, introduce yourself uh you're no stranger to the i Hour, but you know tell us you know who you are what your current position is and what you're up to
2: Absolutely. Well, it's good to see you guys on the iHemp Hour. Thanks for the invite today. Uh, my name is James D. Decker. I'm the director of Michigan State University's Upper Peninsula Research and Extension Center. And we've been doing uh, hemp research here in Michigan since 2019. And uh, since 2020, collaborating with a great group of researchers across the region that we call the Midwestern Hemp Research Collaborative. And one of my uh, collaborators is here
3: with us today, Phil. All right,
0: so cool.
3: Dave, thanks for having us. It's great to be here again. Uh, Philip Alberti, research program manager with the University of Wisconsin, Madison, Um, spent the last four years at the University of Illinois, coordinating hemp research there. Uh, And I'm now working with an exciting group uh, at the Ellison Lab and and the Wisconsin Crop Improvement Center here to really start to evaluate uh, hemp at a larger scale. And we're really excited about the projects that we're working on. And as James said, continuing these collaborations. Excellent. So So
1: now you got to change all your sports gear from fighting Illini to the uh, Badgers, huh?
3: See, that's the thing, Blaine, is I'm actually from Wisconsin and a Badger, uh, so I get to go back to my alma mater. So I was actually a sleeper agent for the last four years. And And today he's wearing Sparty
2: Green, so I don't know what that's
3: about. (laughs) keeping you on your toes, everybody. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i gotta say uh you know i know uh, wisconsin um you know have some close basketball games they lost here this last week but looks like it's going to be a good season for you guys so yeah, yeah. all, all right. right so let's talk about what you guys have been up to and what the good news is and what you can share about what you're finding about these varieties for us
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, so, we wanted to focus on a few things uh, today with the time that we had. One of them is talking about the variety trials that we've been conducting collaboratively uh, since 2020. And um, this year we had grain fiber and cannabinoid trials. I'm gonna to touch a little bit on uh, what we accomplished with the grain and fiber trials. And uh, Phil can talk about uh, what happened on the cannabinoid side through the Cultivar Check program. Um, and we wanna make sure people know where to find the results of that work uh, as they become available over the next uh, few weeks here. And then also talk about a new project that we're embarking upon um, that people can join in the research, uh, grain and fiber producers in particular over the next three years. So. Um, As I said, we've been doing some collaborative variety testing for a number of years now. Um, This year, uh, we solicited grain and fiber varieties from a total of nine suppliers. And uh, we had 15 grain varieties, 10 fiber varieties that were distributed in trials across the four states. And we should mention who the other partners are. Um, We did talk about UW and University of Illinois, but Purdue University, Marguerite Bolt there at Purdue is our other collaborator. And then in Wisconsin, we also have a nonprofit Michael Fields Agricultural Institute that has uh, been working with us to to do this work. So it's a nice opportunity to take genetics that we think are adapted to our region here, spread them out a little bit across geography in the Midwest and the Great Lakes and see how they perform um, in some different contexts. Um, Most of our trials, are managed similarly, we try to harmonize the methods and we spent a lot of time over the last few years um, doing that, looking at making our our production methods more consistent, also the way that we collect the data Um, because being a a sort of newer industry or re-emerging industry, there aren't a lot of scientific standards. So we spend a lot of time on that. Um, But then we also get to look at some variation, for example, in organic practices versus conventional practices. Some of us are using herbicides to control weeds. uh, and some of, them, some of us are using more organic methods. Um, and it's been a really nice uh, collaboration for that reason. Um, so I can reflect a little bit on our experience here with the grain and fiber trials this year, some of the things that changed and, uh, and some of the things that we might um, do going forward Um, One of the biggest changes that we had this year with our grain and fiber trials um, occurred at the beginning of the season. I don't know about other hemp growers, uh, your experience, Blaine and Dave, um, but when I talk to researchers on our team elsewhere, establishment of direct seeded grain and fiber hemp continues to be a challenge for folks. Um, I was on a call, USDA call, Oh geez, that was the week of the fifteenth because uh, I was out hunting,
0: <laughs> and
2: uh, and we heard from Kentucky, uh, Bob Pierce, that they're they're seeing fifty percent sand establishment, and that's been about what we've uh, achieved here in the past too. We plant twice as many seeds as we get plants, and that's been a real struggle. Um, so. This year in Michigan, we tried something new, and that was actually packing the seed bed before we planted. So we we did our tillage, we came through uh, with a, a roller packer, we packed the seed bed down, and then we drilled into that seed bed. And um, I'll say it was it was a really interesting outcome. On one hand, we had better better establishment; um, we were above that fifty percent that we've been achieving, so we had more plants out there, which is great. Um, however, Um, We saw that it seemed like, actually, in some cases, the plants struggled a bit in that heavily disturbed and compacted soil once they were established. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a really uh, good note for growers as they're looking at different uh, establishment methods, seabed prep methods for hemp, you know, thinking about... um, how much tillage should we be doing? Should we be compacting seed beds or not? And what are the the ultimate implications for that? Because just because we got more plants, uh, doesn't mean that we had higher yields. And actually what we saw, particularly in the fiber, is that um, after we got all those plants established, they're growing great. Um, they did struggle a little bit, um, looked a little bit stunted, could have been nutrient related, could have been maybe moisture related, all the things that kind of come along with that compacted soil. Um, so we ended up with slightly lower, uh, yields, um, as a result too, and shorter plants, um, as well. So in the past, um, we've achieved, uh, upwards of, you know, 8,000, 9,000 pounds of uh, dry matter in our hemp fiber system. And this year we averaged uh, 7,200 unredded dry matter uh, pounds per acre and 45 uh, redded pounds of dry matter per acre out of our fiber trial here in Michigan. And our height, you know, we went from plants that were 70 some inches tall in the past down to plants that were 56 inches tall on average. So you could really see the the impact of how we prepared that seed bed and established that crop. Um, and some of the the drag that we saw in terms of, of height and, and yield as well. So it was a learning experience for us as far as that goes.
1: So do you think you had, the idea obviously was better seed soil contact by, by preparing the bed? Well, seed
2: soil contact, yes, but I actually think where we struggle maybe even more in hemp is in seeding depth. Um, you know, I, we're gonna look more into this cause it has been such a challenge for us, but when we're drilling this crop um, and we also have a lot of variability in seed size in our variety trials, that's, you know, seed size, seed quality has been a challenge for this industry uh, as we get started here. And I think um, when we have large seeded crops, I think we get a little bit more leeway in uh, things like seeding depth, um, but with these small seeded crop and particularly the varieties that are extra small seeded, I think we struggle to get them placed at just the right depth, um, more so than seed soil contact, all that could be uh, a secondary factor as well.
3: And we're also dealing with issues with, yeah, quality dormancy, definitely Mm -hmm. play a a role into that. But I think what's really changed our approach uh, for planting outside of just seed prep has been this idea and mindset of really looking at seed quality and then pure live seed, planting targeted populations based off of the quality of the seed that you have. So seed quality is all over the place, targeted populations uh, can vary according to seed or, or fiber production standard, like what your, what your end use is. So um, we've really been playing with trying to mess with these targeted populations using uh, pure live seed to account for seed quality to, to really take advantage of some of these genetics who have good agronomic potential, even if their seed quality or dormancy may be a little off.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a super important note, I think, for growers too, because we often, you know, it's easy to talk about seeding rates in terms of pounds per acre, right? Um, And and even purchasing seed that way. But hemp hemp is uh, a challenge because of the variability in seed quality. So Phil is spot on about that. And so the two things that we look at to figure that out and growers can do just the same is obviously the germination rate and your seed should come labeled with that hopefully that's an accurate read on germination sometimes it it may not be as accurate so you can also do a home germ test Um, and then uh, the thousand kernel weight meaning that we count out a thousand seeds and we weigh that and then we can divide that by a thousand and get our average seed size. And with those two pieces of information, that's how we actually come up with how much seed goes into that plot. So that hopefully we have an equal number of plants uh, establishing and and uh, a similar population across the trial. And
3: and I'm assuming in in your archiving... trials,
1: Sorry, Brian, go ahead. I'm assuming in your trials, you guys are using all certified seed. It's not different seed. I mean, it's all certified seed, right?
2: Uh, we have been fairly open, uh, to accepting seed from all different kinds of suppliers. And so okay. we're definitely seeing a trend toward, uh, mm-hmm. higher seed quality, more, uh, certified seed or, or seed that at least, uh, is functioning as certified seed would in terms of the information that's coming along with it and the quality of that seed. Um, but no, it's all over the board. We still have a couple of, you know, entries that are, are, um, not to that standard yet, but they're, they're getting winnowed out, I would say, over time.
3: And there's independent suppliers who are, you know, given the infancy of this industry, we don't want to kind of pigeonhole ourselves with the genetic stock that we're evaluating. We want to look at everything and say, all right, what's good, what's bad? Um, and what we've also experienced is by doing that, we've opened the doors for, yes, some, some lower seed quality and also maybe some independent breeders. But if they're willing to join the trial and, and be a part of it, we want to assess the germplasm that we can um and you know without everything's not protected right now so it's kind of a blank slate for a lot of this material in some cases and uh that's part of the fun of it as part of the challenge of it you never know what you're going to get but we also we kind of like the idea of casting a wide net um and then seeing what we get
0: now there was a, a search for some feral hemp yeah uh, have you
3: had have you had the opportunity to play with any of that so not necessarily for our trials here. I will say that here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so my colleague, Dr. Shelby Ellison, and several of her uh, students and postdocs um, are, are working on this project here. We, we went out and we collected feral hemp all over the, the Midwest. Um, there are boxes and boxes of seed that I was just uh, touching earlier from the very project that you're referencing uh, that we're actually sending up to Minnesota for evaluation. Um, but no, not yet. The goal is that we can hopefully incorporate some of that into our trials, but for right now, primarily it's been done for, um, genetic mapping. So GWAS, and then also just field evaluations to see, all right, how are these performing against our commercial cultivars with the intent of maybe incorporating them in the future? So very early stages, but a lot of this collection right now is, is for the base is building, you know, the foundation for us to do that moving forward.
0: Now, this is kind of unprecedented to have a commodity crop come onto the market like this and and, in this body of work that you're working on is is that something you've done with other other crops in the past
2: not in the same way um i i think you're totally right dave that um the state of this industry is very unique. Um, it's a rare opportunity for us to be able to sort of reestablish a crop on the scene in agriculture. Um, certainly every once in a while we have emerging crops come on the scene. Back in the 80s in Michigan, it was canola, right? Everybody was going to start growing canola. Um, and then we had malting barley come along. Uh, in Michigan, and now we're doing a little bit of malting barley to support the craft beverage industry. I think the difference there, though, is that there was much more of a precedent in those other industries where the the crop was being grown in other parts of the country or in in other parts of North America, and we're just looking at kind of bringing that back to our region. That was the case both with canola and malting barley. Hemp, due to prohibition and the lack of research opportunity and data being generated since uh, prohibition, is is very unique i would say so the, the opportunity to do this sort of baseline level work and also the potential impact that this type of work has on the industry i think is greater than we see just about anywhere else and i don't know phil if you have anything to add to that
3: uh, no it's i mean it's, it's tremendously rewarding work as a researcher because every day we are learning new things and it's it's a very fun thing but also very challenging because of that um you know take away the fact that we are learning how to grow this crop which applies to every other you know commodity that comes into play emerging crop they don't have the regulation that hemp does or the the issues with regulation i mean we're not talking about the dea when it comes to ground nuts or hazelnuts you know or so it's just a different challenge and so that presents its, its a whole other you know set of issues that um makes it unique for us to be dealing with in trying to establish a new uh, a new industry
0: yeah and we're, we're also trying to establish markets so I feel like we need to do a lot more research yet. You know, what, how, how deep is this? I mean, how many years is it going to take to really figure out the right genetics for the right application and, and how do we get there with the regulation that we're under right now? I mean, can we get there?
2: It's a, it's a great question. I think, um, There's really two ways to think about that i think we're actually making rapid progress on understanding the adaptability of these genetics agronomically so which varieties are likely to be successful on the farm Um, but the way that you phrase that dave i think is actually maybe more relevant is which genetics are suited to the intended purpose right and that i think we're only beginning to scratch the surface so we're starting to collect some baseline data on grain quality for example looking at fatty acid profiles you know oil content of the seed um, and other things that would allow us to say hey you know this variety's got higher oil um, or a certain oil profile that might be appropriate for a specific end market product or Mm -hmm. or use Um, fiber you know, I think probably we've got a yeah. long way to go on that, and and you know the thing is um, that information, some of it at least exists uh, elsewhere, places like Europe that have continued a hemp fiber industry. So it's not like we're totally starting from scratch. But in terms of the knowledge base in the United States, um, we're we're only beginning to think that way. And at, at MSU, um, there is a group of engineers. In the, uh, in the chemical engineering department that are starting to be uh, looking at hemp, getting excited about uh, opportunities for use uh, of hemp fiber and, and uh, herd in construction materials. And so, you know, it's gonna be the folks like that, I think that will outline the parameters that then we'll try to find or meet uh, based on variety selection and uh, production practices in the field, things like, you know, harvest date, for example.
3: Very very well said, James. I mean, I think we've made a lot of progress uh, in the last few years, and I think it's only going to kind of increase exponentially from here on out, I think, given the amount of federal funding that's going into these projects, it's becoming more and more commonplace to to see money and resources devoted into the research of this. When does that really take into effect, and when are we going to see the fruits of that? I can't really say, but I think when it comes to our understanding of what we need to do to get there... It's going to happen a lot quicker uh, over the next few years uh, with the amount of data and the amount of groups that are kind of coming together, putting, you know, rubber meets the road and actually looking at some of these questions. Um, we've only just gotten to the point where I feel like we could pick a handful of varieties that are suited to each of our regions. You know, James has has his, I think I have mine, and we feel pretty confident, I think, at this point in how to grow them. But again, now it comes down to the the next step is actually the processing, which has been kind of the... The limiting factor this entire time, but I feel like there were so many other things we needed to address as well, and we're we're actually starting to address those questions too. Mm. And the other
2: objective that we haven't touched on um, that people are very interested in is environmental outcomes, right? So there's sort of farm outcomes, there's uh, maybe industry or processing needs or objectives, but you know, are we also trying to make hemp a climate smart uh, commodity? Are we trying to improve you know, soil and water quality, uh, capture sequester carbon in the process of, of growing this crop and, and producing these hemp-based products? Um, that obviously has a lot of interest. That's where a lot of the funding uh, is focused at the federal level right now is uh, climate change mitigation. and um, I think how we grow the crop what varieties we select uh, will also differ dependent on on those objectives um, and so we have to keep that in mind as well too yeah we know, were looking
3: well, to the environmental qualities and, and things like that there's a really exciting project actually that's being um, the, the building blocks are starting right now in lake decatur in illinois where they're looking at uh, planting hemp as one of their options for Ah, uh, cleaning up some of the sediment and improving water quality. So, talking about some of those ecosystem services, um, a, a project like that where they're looking at substantial acreage and and seeing its impact. Um, very exciting questions that we would like to have answers to. Same goes with phytoremediation and just general cleaning. You know, ecosystem services of cleaning up the soil. Um, we deal with you know uh, heavy metal contamination in urban so- in urban soils and a lot of those metropolitan areas. Think about the potential for a crop like hemp to help remediate some of those so- soils and potentially create a useful byproduct out of those. So, those are all those things that were, I feel like a few years ago, we kept talking about it as like what we want to see and there, they are here and there starting to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and with the hemp hemp lime or hemp creek being approved as a building material, I mean, that's huge, you know, so for the Absolutely. fiber. fiber. As far as the research, one, one thing I wanted to ask uh Phil, you, Wisconsin went to the USDA for licensing. What's it cost to grow hemp in Wisconsin?
3: Oh gosh, Dave, uh you're gonna have to I'm gonna have to get back to you on that. I just got so familiar with Illinois' rules coming over to Wisconsin and <laughs> okay. still getting caught up to speed. Um so I, I'd have to to, to ask uh or I have to get an official answer for you on that
0: Yeah, that's fine i've been curious because we're our department is struggling the department of ag and you know they're the fees thirteen hundred and fifty dollars i think for the grower license is that correct blaine yep thirteen hundred fifty for grower and thirteen hundred fifty
1: for processor
0: and 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 they just need more growers you know because they need to cover up their expenses for the department but uh you know, it seems like a backwards way to do it. You know, it's not many people are going to pay $1,350 to test out a, a crop for future, you know, maybes. So You know, yeah. the good
1: thing is that uh, we're seeing a lot of movement in the, the fiber, the herd area. Um, you know, again, I think grain is going to come along when we're able to use it for livestock feed, uh, mm-hmm. for certain, for sure. <clears throat> and of course, we can use it for oil and stuff now. Uh, but there's more of a limited market for that. When the grain hits, it'll be quite large. But, um, but there's just a lot of stuff happening in the building. And I, I, I feel like this year we're going to run into the chicken and the egg thing, right? We can probably do a lot more building. <clears throat> we can do a lot more building projects. But our supply is going to be limited this year. Yeah. I, I just feel like that that's kind of where we're coming to, you know. But we've got, there's a two, three, four, four or five projects that are going to happen this year in Michigan alone. On building what they have building products so I mean
0: it's coming it's happening is, is there a way to uh, James through MSU can someone grow test plots for you or do they have to get their own license
2: yeah actually it's a it's a great question so um, in the past MDARD has accommodated us uh, licensing our research collaborators under MSUs license um, I should mention that in the state of Michigan, uh, most of my collaborators have been tribal communities and tribal colleges. And um, obviously there's uh, some differences there in terms of uh, sovereignty and how, uh, Regulation is functioning uh, in tribal communities relative to the state. So actually we heard from USDA uh, through MDARD that they would like the the tribal research collaborators to pursue their own uh, licensing either through MDARD or as uh, sovereign nations in relationship with USDA through, a, through an approved hemp plan. Um, My impression that is, though, that on non-tribal lands that we will still have that option of licensing our research collaborators under uh, MSU's license. Um, So that is an advantage potentially um, for growers that would like to collaborate with us. And if you don't mind, this seems like a a nice uh, segue to talk about the research that we'll be initiating uh, in the coming years. Yeah, sounds great. Um, So our uh, group of researchers, the Midwestern Hemp Research Collaborative, was able to secure support uh, from the NIFA Supplemental and Alternative Crops Program. Um, That RFA came out for the second time, I believe, uh, this last summer, including hemp, uh, whereas previously that program had been just focused on canola. Um, So now it's an opportunity for funding for canola and hemp. And um, our research group um, and partners were able to secure Uh, funding to the tune of about $700,000 over the next three years uh, to conduct um, grain and fiber hemp research. And um, we're very excited to be announcing that uh, project because a huge component of that is going to be on-farm research. And so we're looking for grain and fiber hemp producers to collaborate um, by conducting simplified variety trials um, on their land. So uh, we would be supplying uh, the varieties, the seed for those growers, there's stipends available in our budget to facilitate um, them conducting that work and their land costs and so forth. And then we're gonna be asking them to collect some basic observations in terms of flowering dates, uh, pest incidents, um, uh, yield information. Um, that then we can include alongside the more replicated and controlled university trials that we'll be conducting at all the partner states and institutions. Um, so we're very interested in having growers that have hemp experience, particularly if they're already growing or have grown grain and fiber cultivars on their farm. and. Um, and we're looking for folks that are interested in also you know, digging in a little bit into the, collecting that data for us. It's not gonna be a lot of detailed information that we want, we wanna keep it as simple and streamlined as possible and really uh, lean into kind of the experiential uh, information that those growers can give us. Um, but there will be some, some uh, data collection that, and some responsibilities related to that. Um, and also uh, some of those growers uh, will be asked to serve on an advisory committee for the project too so we'll be uh, looking for five research collaborators in each of the four states Uh, so five michigan indiana illinois and wisconsin each and then uh, one or two of those growers uh, that collaborate on the research will be asked to serve on the advisory committee for the project and really help to drive the direction of the research um so phil did i Anything you want to add on that? Anything I missed?
3: No, I think that was a great overview. I think the one thing I'll say is we absolutely would prefer experienced hemp growers mostly for their own benefit. So they know the expectations and kind of have yeah. some experience. But skilled growers, if there's one thing I, I know is if you tell a farmer you can't do something, they'll find a way to do it. So if you're skilled <laughs> and you want to make it work, we would love to work with you, too. Uh, so we don't discriminate in that regard. I just wanna make sure you understand the expectations. It's a new crop and it provides some challenges, but um, certainly uh, looking for cooperators in that regard.
2: Yeah, and I'll say um, there's a there's a couple of objectives for the project. One is the variety testing piece and that's the, the main um, part that will be on farm that we're looking for the growers uh, to collaborate on. Um, We're also going to be doing some agronomic trials, looking at things like uh, seed bed prep that I mentioned earlier uh, and seeding rates to try to improve stand establishment, looking at nitrogen fertility and the implications for yield and quality in the crop. And then lastly, uh, planting date study. So we'll be planting across sort of the whole window of of opportunity in the spring and looking at how plant date influences yield and quality in the crop too. So um, it's some exciting stuff happening. We'll also be doing a lot of pest uh, observations, diagnostics through the plant clinic at UIUC. So excited to have them on board. And uh, for the first time, the whole group will be running all of our cannabinoid analysis and uh, grain quality analysis through the USDA lab in Peoria, Illinois. So, um, you know, we've gone different directions for cannabinoid testing, um, just based on who's available to partner and and, uh, who's interested in In collaborating. I think um, this will be a step toward really kind of harmonizing, standardizing our approach to the cannabinoid uh, sampling and analysis and getting some numbers that we really can put a lot of uh, trust in uh, coming from those folks at USDA. Um, It's been great getting to know them and and think about uh, what the next three years of of partnership is going
3: to look like with them. Yeah, that's really exciting because we are, We've really been pushing for this grain and fiber database to be built out and we always intended for this data to be used hopefully for maybe some sort of performance based sampling and if we can submit our samples through a USDA DEA lab and have that be fed directly into the database moving forward, that really strengthens the utility of, of what we have been building the last few years with the hemp database in the hopes that we can really use this for some positive change. So. Really excited to have the USDA group on board. Could not be more thrilled with our research partners in the past, but it's just with all the the the, the spinning plates and the regulation that's changed, we need to go to the source. And that's working with, uh, you know, labs that the USDA will, you know, see as, as equal or, or or on par with what their expectations are.
1: So are you looking for, how about size-wise now for these research projects? Are we looking at
3: five five
1: acres, two acres, 10 acres?
2: varieties? So I think we can uh, accommodate a little bit, but um, maybe the way to talk about it is we're going to be growing 20 plus cultivars in the university trials. We're going to ask uh, farmers to plant a subset of five of those. And we're probably also going to have folks either choose grain or fiber. So you're probably looking at five cultivars, either grain or fiber, depending on your experience and interest. And then we're going to be asking people to put planter with Strips out in their field and hopefully replicate that three or four times, depending on field size. So I think Blaine, you're probably in the ballpark of maybe we're in total uh, talking five ten acres um, to fit all that in. But you know, we can we can adjust that plot size accordingly to fit into a field that a grower has available and is is planning to sow hemp into. So and you know, equipment size differs and things too. So we just want to make sure that it's gonna. Um, be straightforward for the grower, not be a, a big headache, and, but also allow us to get some good data.
1: And what can they do with the the byproduct of the research?
2: It's a great question. So um, certainly I think the growers would have the option of marketing the byproduct of the research if they are licensed accordingly and um, meeting the, the standards in terms of testing and uh, uh, THC levels. Um, The difficulty there obviously is a lot of people don't currently have uh, markets for grain and fiber hemp lined up. Um, So we may find ourselves in a a circumstance where we are simply uh, destroying the crop at the end of the research. Uh, financially, obviously, that's going to be costly for the growers. So we do have, again, that stipend built into the budget to cover some of those costs. Um, from a regulatory perspective, though, actually, it could be a simpler approach for the grower to say, "I'm just going to till this in, you know, mow it, mow it down, work it in, or remove it from the field and burn it at the end of the research to avoid the requirement for the for the compliance sampling and analysis through their individual state program or USDA. Because when we're um, collecting our cannabinoid data for research, we're doing that ourselves as the researchers. We are running it through the USDA lab, but we're not having MDART in the case of Michigan come out and, and do our sampling as is required for commercial growers. So if they wanted to sell the crop, they would have to go through that added step of, of you know complying with the, the rules that any commercial grower would.
1: So then, the grower in let's just take Cockcock, Cock, Michigan, since we're familiar with that. <clears throat> so then, would your stipend that you're going to be able to provide a little bit of, would that be able to cover the cost of their um, permit? You know, the thirteen hundred and fifty dollars in Michigan would that be able to cover that cost?
2: I think we're at a thousand dollars a grower. I have to look back at the budget, um, so yeah. it would not be the entire cost of the licensing. Um, oh, that's a good and yeah, we discussed this a little bit with the team actually yesterday. And I think um, we're interested in growers that are producing hemp regardless of the research. We don't want someone probably to you know have this be their first time growing hemp or to only be growing hemp for the, for the purpose of the research, just because we want uh, folks that have a little bit of experience that are uh, prepared to, to manage this crop accordingly. And you know, ideally they would have a, a market outlet and be able to sell the crop and recover some of their costs that way. But I know that's gonna be a limited opportunity certainly for growers.
1: Well, yes and no. And the reason I bring it up is because I can think of some, uh, I have members for sure, um, one for grain, That would certainly be interested in this for sure and i'm sure that um, some others would be interested in the fiber and both of those i know would have could have markets for them when they plant it you know they have the markets in it especially the fiber side no question that I think we can definitely that in the grain side, I think too, depending on the acres on it. So how um, was people, how do people get in touch with you? How do they go about this process and say, Hey, I'm interested. I'd like to do this with you guys.
2: Yeah. Um, so a couple of ways, certainly they can contact uh, Phil or I directly mm-hmm. uh, via email. Um, probably the easier way would be to um, go through the Midwestern Hemp Database website. We're going to get um, some contact information, a uh, press release type information up there soon. Um, so that folks can can uh, identify uh, that and find the project and find us that way Um, in the meantime email probably is the best uh, best
3: route okay i I will say you know our dream scenario with this is it's a hemp grower who's already paid for the license with the intent of already growing and we can find a way to have a value-added component to their work and the same goes for us where hopefully we could find some genetics that they they like and that what they would like to grow into the future and potentially sell at the end of the season um you know that that's kind of our goal is that we we can add on to this and that the stipend would help to mitigate some of those costs um but yeah in certain cases and it varies from state and and in which you know regulatory body what you're paying for licensing fees uh but this is really going to be value added instead of just oh i'm going to try to get a thousand dollars and participate in this trial um as james said we really want folks who are either dedicated to this and see hemp as a future cropping option for them and are willing to put the work in or those who are already experienced with hemp
1: yeah both of the the people that i'm thinking about are already experienced they've grown it uh, both the fiber and the grain side so i'll be sure to reach out to them and we'll make sure that we put it out to uh, the IHemp members as well um and it's available so yeah, Are you ready plan- to start taking information at this point then?
2: Yeah, we can wait? we can start putting growers on the list. Um, I know okay. the field day that uh, SN Atlas did this summer too, we had some growers exp- express uh, preliminary interest there too. So I don't think it'll be too difficult for us to find our 5 growers per state. Um, at this mm-hmm. point um, I did st- I stuck my email in the chat though but it looks like maybe that's a private side let me know how I can get yeah. it out to folks um, we'll, we'll, we
1: can we can run that maybe as a little scroll or something oh it, nice
2: so. um, I wonder uh, maybe this is a good time to kind of transition over we've been talking about grain and fiber and our work there but uh, Phil's been really busy with uh, the, the cultivar check program on the cannabinoid side um, and can talk a little bit more about the database maybe too
3: Sure, yeah. So, I mean, this is a nice kind of segue, this idea of grower cooperators, which is the kind of the backbone of the the, the hemp database, as well as the cultivar check program. So for those, uh, if you're not aware, the, check pro, the, the hemp database is a public repository of hemp variety performance for both grain, fiber, and high cannabinoid hemp cultivars. It's interactive, um, and the data has come over the last three years from university replicated trials from grower submissions, and then what I'm gonna talk about here shortly is the cultivar check program. Um, basically what we do is we, we, we relied on this general, large data set to evaluate which cultivars for high cannabinoid hemp are what we deemed high potential or ones that we thought, thought that we could evaluate further that might be some good options for growers in the region. Um, and so we wrote a SARE grant, a Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Partnership Grant, which allowed us to send those genetics to grower cooperators across the Midwest. So just like our grain and fiber trials are going to partner these university replicated trials with grower cooperators, we're doing the same thing here in high cannabinoid hemp. Um, Over the two years, we had 32 grower cooperators. We've evaluated 20 different varieties. um, And the data of which we're going to be uh, sharing very, very soon here is a two year summary of how all of those varieties performed across the, the, the region in terms of agronomic performance, uh, but also cannabinoid development data. So um, our goal with this project is to, uh, we have growers take cannabinoid samples throughout flowering at set periods, three, five and seven weeks after flowering. And so we're able to develop harvest or compliance timelines for each of these genetics. So if, an example might be a variety like Hayes from Oregon CBD. We've grown that, I think, in 14 different locations over the, the past two years, which is a lot. That is a lot of site years over a two-year period. And so we're able to get a really good, you know, uh, kind of idea of when this variety is going to be compliant and when it's not. And so we take this data and we develop confidence intervals uh, for 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 when we think we can harvest them. So ultimately, a variety gets broken down into, all right, It was it was compliant through week three or it was compliant through week five or compliant through week seven. And what this does is it allows growers to kind of develop harvest strategies for some of these cultivars that are out there. Um, Our goal is uh, to continue this program in the future. Um, We've written a grant. We're we're waiting uh, to hear if we got it. That would allow us to continue this program for the next two years, uh, continue to improve on which uh, criteria we use to consider high cultivar or good potential cultivars, um, and then just develop more and more confidence intervals for these varieties in terms of cannabinoid performance. Ultimately, all of this is for, uh, ideally, the use of this data for performance-based sampling, where we could hopefully eventually either eliminate some of these varieties from having to be tested at the state level for compliance or federal level, um, but could be harvested following specific guidelines set forth by these, these studies. And the same goes for grain and fiber, where we've been making a huge push to compile all of our grain and fiber data, develop performance-based sampling methods for each of those varieties so growers can say, for example, at a 95% confidence, this genetic is compliant at this date or it's not. And that's really our goal for these projects is to inform grower variety selections and also hopefully be used for, um, you know, for informing policy at the regulatory level.
2: Yeah, it's been really interesting. Uh, When Phil started the database project, um, we focused on cannabinoid hemp because it was newer, it was more variable in our experience in terms of how these cultivars were performing and being focused on cannabinoid production, there was apparently or is greater risk uh, for going over that THC threshold. As As the science and the tool has evolved, I think we've come to realize that certainly the cannabinoid information is is very valuable. But if we think about the database as a tool to support performance-based testing, actually what we need is a grain and fiber database because the risk is that much lower um, for THC and grain and fiber hemp. And so the opportunity for Developing that list of cultivars that meet that standard of of being below the threshold at a 95% confidence interval is is that much more likely. So, um, it's been great to see Phil build out the the grain and fiber side of the database. And from what I've heard, the, the regulators are getting very excited about having a source of information, research-based information that they can use, one-stop shop to, to make some of those decisions and start coming up with that list of cultivars um, that will meet the meet the standard and do not need to be tested. And I know there's been a push in the industry to exclude grain and fiber. And I think that certainly is a strategy, right, that, that the industry could take or the regulators could take to say that if it's grain and fiber, don't worry about it. Um, but uh, we have seen cases of cultivars that are intended for grain and fiber use that do go over the threshold. It may be, you know, not every plant or every uh, rep that we have in the field, but it does happen. Um, and so I think that uh, using this this uh, database approach uh, is actually a little bit more um, precise.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard of any intended for grain um, crop go hot, but I did hear, and there has been evidence of this year too, of a uh, fiber variety that did go, uh, and the uh, growers were able to mitigate it by blending it and chopping it and blending it up, and, and then it coming underneath the threshold. So, um, so yeah. So I've heard that. And of course, there's also the um, you know there's also the push for the one percent, um, which would take care of you know ninety five percent of our problems as well too. So yeah, either one of those risk was You'd
3: still have to pay for testing though right? Even if they raise yeah. that 1%. So having a list yeah. of genetics that you don't even need to yeah. um, regardless of that. Um, and the nice so thing is, yeah, if they raise that. the threshold, go for it. We can still develop performance, the, the 95% confidence intervals based off of that raised yeah. level and see if they fit. But great, I see where you're going, Blaine. I just, yeah, I want to get rid of having to test varieties that don't... Yeah,
1: to be yeah. for, 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 for uh, yeah. grain and, and, and uh, fiber, which is never going to be used in the cannabinoid area, so to speak. Uh, yeah, there's no reason. You're right. We need just to eliminate that and and get a get a set database that hey, if you buy off of this list or that kind of seed that, yeah, not a problem. We don't have to worry about it. That'd, that'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. a good point Even about
3: cost. 5. I'd take 0.5%, which would change <laughs> things dramatically too. It, yeah. It's actually remarkable when you you look at it. It's such a small change, but it makes a tremendous difference in terms of cannabinoid production specifically for high cannabinoid high cannabinoid hemp cultivars. It would give growers so much more flexibility and freedom um, in terms of, of compliance, but that's mm-hmm. a soapbox.
2: Yeah, and if MDARD or State departments of Ag are, are visiting fewer fields that just reduce their overall cost for administering the program, and maybe you would see our license fees come down. So I, I think, you know, it's just so many arguments for for uh, moving in this direction.
3: Mm-hmm. Still be subject to testing, just not required, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, mm-hmm. Phil, Phil, could you
2: just say, um, if folks visit the database today, um, what's the status of the data on both cannabinoid and grain and fiber side? Is, are we just through 21 right now, or have you started to upload 22 data for the public yet?
3: So for the check for cannabinoid hemp, we have everything through 2022 is up there, including uh, the agronomic data that we've collected from all of our check program trials. So that is up to date. Um, the report that we're writing that will go out, that's analyzed the stats. Um, that's gonna be coming out very, very soon here. We just sent the first draft off for reviews. uh, So we're really excited, but that's entirely up to date. So if you wanna go through and interact with the cannabinoid database, everything's there from uh, 2021, 22. So we have over 2000 samples of cannabinoids for cannabinoids in the cannabinoid database and over 200 varieties that are evaluated, some with over hundred samples for that genetic that have been tested. you can see the number of samples that have been submitted for that variety, the number of them that went hot, the, you know, the total CBD, THC, all that's there. Um, for the uh, grain and fiber database, um, all of, it's pretty much up to date for the cannabinoid data so far, uh, but that's, I would say, mostly update through 21. So over the next couple of months, um, I would expect tremendous leaps in the amount of data that's available there, uh, and then ultimately, too, a new list of kind of uh you know this 95% which genetics are in our mind 95% compliant, so a lot of information is coming out as we end this kind of one grand cycle and begin two new ones. So, this is a very exciting time, I think, to see the results of these trials. Um, this winter,
2: I see there's a question that came through about a list of varieties that we're using, uh, in reference to some varietals from France. Um, if uh Folks are interested, you can certainly check the database too, or I could just uh, read the list real quick here. It's not very long of the fiber varieties that we had. Um, so this year we had Fibroar 79, Futura 83, Futura 75, Santhica 70, Mucha, Carmenecta, Enectorol, USO 31, Biolabreski, and Orion 33. That was our fiber list this year. I think some of those do have French origin. Um, most of the material that we are working with for fiber is um, coming out of Europe through our, the folks at Hemp Point, or uh, I never know how to say this right. Canopy, conopy.
0: Canopy, <laughs> yeah. Canopy, okay. But, uh, Which I think is... Uh, you know.
2: Yes, yep. Hanna
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're hooking us up with most of the European material. Um, so I hope that answers your question, uh, Rhea. And I, I just wanna quickly address to Denise at post, uh, or made a, made a comment about the uh, Department of Ag testing. I do wanna clarify, Denise is absolutely right, that um, if a grower is growing commercially under their own license intending to uh, sell that product um, or really even harvest that product, they do need to complete uh, the the sampling and analysis that's required by their by their state um, or USDA. So, yes, as a commercial producer, that is the be all and end all. Um, when, when we're doing our research, we get a little bit of leeway on that. That we're uh, we have agreements with MDART and a, a specified written research plan uh, that is approved by MDART in Michigan that allows us to do our own sampling and testing following their protocol essentially. So we do our best um, to try to represent the uh, MDART protocol when we do our sampling because, as Denise says, you know that's what matters to growers, right? Is compliance using the methods that the regulators are using, um, and and those methods. Are generally designed to capture risk right if if there's a hot if, if the if there's a hot plant out there or a hot portion of the plant right we're going to capture it with that with that sampling protocol it's different a different approach than if we were just basically trying to uh represent what was there uh entirely so thanks for making that
0: point denise yeah and for real no no one wants to destroy crop. no no never no. our goal no, that was not the intent, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we live in a very strange world today.
1: <laughs> well, guys, you know, I, I just, I thank you for, for taking on this task that you guys have been doing and, and helping us all out because, you know, years from now, right, this is where this all is going to go with It all going to start with. And it really helps the growers, you know, look at the data, decide what's best for their you know, whatever they're looking for, whether it be grain or fiber or cannabinoids. Um and it really helps out. And we just appreciate the, the effort you guys are putting into it for sure. So uh, oh, without yeah. you guys doing your work, we wouldn't be able to do ours, put it that way. So
2: yeah. well, sa- same here. Uh we really depend on uh, the support from iHemp to get the word out, you know, to serve as that touch point for the growers in Michigan and around the region. Uh, so thanks to you guys for what you do and creating the opportunities to have these conversations and and reach the the industry. So um, it's definitely a, a partnership. And and I'll also just uh, comment again about our, our whole network across the Midwest here has been uh, incredibly strong partnership, a great group of people. It continues to grow uh, every day. And, um, and we couldn't do this work without all of those partners in, in our Midwest states here. And I think uh, the partnership is helping to push our region forward as a real leader uh, in the hemp industry and, and uh, creating some opportunities, I hope, for the future.
1: Yeah, I know know Rachel's been real, real important with the Illinois Hemp Grower Association and Jamie down in Indiana. has been really helpful, too. So, yeah.
3: but Yes, thank you so much. I mean, our biggest fear is that we're doing this and we're not getting the word out or that people aren't able to use the information that, you know, we're putting together. But it's a real team effort. The growers are our heroes. They're the ones that are doing this for for us and really getting all this data. This wouldn't be uh, possible. And I have to say there's something about people who are working in hemp. It's been a joy to work with this group. It's been a career highlight for me uh, to do this work and to keep doing it is, is a privilege. So uh, thank you again. Right.
1: Well, thanks, guys. Uh, again, we appreciate you taking time out of your, your busyness and, and helping out and sharing all this good, good yeah. news. So Jim, will
0: you put their email addresses up on the screen here for a second, please? So we'll get that out there. Okay. I didn't log in the normal way. Otherwise I could jump in and do this. I'm not the wizard today. <laughs> <laughs> you're always the wizard, Dave. Just an average that? Joe. Yeah. So,
1: you're always the wizard. Gonna, so.
0: Jim. But, uh, all right, but we'll keep the things going here. Um, so Blaine. Yeah. On the agenda. We're going to talk about uh, Lori's product. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. Um, and we're
1: going to talk about a number of things. So, um, so in two weeks, we will have another show, um, and it's we're going to be featuring Lori Putt from HOH, and Andrew, her son, uh, they're growers in the northern part of Michigan. Um, Lori has expanded to overseas and down uh, in Mexico, and she's going to share all the trials and tribulations and heartaches and learning event. Again, experience is great when you learn it from somebody else's mistakes, so you're going to want to tune in to her show next week to, or two weeks from now to, to learn about that but uh she was a uh, one of the winners um, at the happy awards that we had uh, this last year and um, two products she had she won on was Gracie's balm which is an equine topical that you put on and Gracie's calm which is an equine elixir apple flavors 1200 milligrams CBD on that so she's going to share that plus many other great things and they're uh, they're expanding uh, they're looking at going into the extracting side and and there's there's their website right there with Hoh. So, been uh, been great. Uh, um, they've really been pushing the envelope forward on a lot of the a lot of the cannabinoid products, and we certainly appreciate what they've been doing. And then also they have some sales going on right now as well for the holiday, as well as many other um, uh, CBD processors also have some sales going on for the holidays as well. So want to throw a shout-out, although Mike uh, um, Brennan couldn't join us. He's a little under the weather today. Um,
0: but, yeah, I uh, think his can... throat's uh, sore from after that U of M blowout. <laughs> he probably can't <laughs> talk anymore. Gee, yes, yes. Uh, we, we really while, should, they didn't show up, eh?
1: We really should stop the tape uh, for this, but at one time I'll give the credit, okay, Mike? Go blue. You guys did a really <laughs> good job with that. It's hard for me to say that, but I will say that. So. Yeah. But I really know you guys did a great job, and good luck to you guys uh, finishing out the season on the football side. We'll see you on the basketball court. Of course, I shouldn't say much because I was at the Notre Dame-Michigan State game last night, and uh, that was not the Michigan State team that we know and love, that's for sure. Cool. Uh, but anyways, uh, marijuana, Michigan Marijuana Report has a nice holiday gift guide out right now, um, so you might want to check that out if you're looking for any of the uh, – the regular THC products, the cannabis side of that.
0: Or have also, frisbees. We have frisbees. All right. They have it in the in the gift guide. I, oh, I, awesome! I Through a deep, deep discount out there for everybody for the holidays. All
1: right. Awesome. And you know, summer is going to come back, right, Dave? So we are going to be playing frisbees at some point in time. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Frisbees. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, So yeah, so they have that, a little bit of news, and then we'll uh, wrap it up with a yummy, yummy uh, recipe today. So it actually is coming from one of our IHEMP members. So um, Illinois HEMP Grower Association has their membership meeting coming up uh, December the 8th at 6 p.m. You can attend it in person, of course, but also you can also attend it uh, virtually. Uh, You can register for that for free. Um, the agenda is going to have uh, Rachel's going to talk and Chris, and then they're going to give some legisl- Illinois legislative updates on that. And they're going to introduction to Tiber, Tiger Fiber with co-founder James Forbes. They're going to have some great raffles and uh, questions and answers, and just general updates for what's going on there. So, great thing if you uh, got time to uh, jump in on there, so you'll get a lot of good information from what they're doing there. Maybe win a prize—you never know. So we'll have that. Um, also. I want to remind everybody, uh, NOCO is coming up. Um, That is going to be in Colorado at the the Broadmoor, which if you haven't been there, is a beautiful place. I've been there one time, and I do plan on attending this year, so uh, I'll be good for that. Um, And that will be in March. I'm just trying to get the date here real quickly, but I'm not having success with that right now.
0: It's towards the end of March, like 26th, So you have plenty of time to, to get your get your tickets for
1: that. So, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, in Illinois, uh, Indiana's doing some great things down there. I know Jamie uh, and the Midwest Hemp Council is doing some great things. A lot of them, uh, uh, their members have also uh, some again discounts for the holiday season. If you're looking for products, CBD related products, they have some great discounts there from some of their members down there. So, and that's about the news that I got for today, Dave. Um, again, I want to give a shout out to what. Um, Um, U.S. Hemp Feed Coalition uh, has done their meeting that they had a few weeks ago, uh, getting all the players together and talking about moving um, hemp grain uh, into the the livestock feed sectors. It's still going to take us a while to get through that, but really great meeting. They had a lot of great players. Everybody was there kind of talking about it. And so it's really great to see that collaborative effort going forward and we'll be able to eventually get that grain into livestock. We know how good it's going to do for the livestock. So really looking forward for that. And uh, yeah, so I think at this time uh, we have a little recipe. Again, uh, guys, Phil and James, thank you very much for attending. And uh, this is one of the recipes you're going to want to use over the holidays. We'll get my, my hemper hat on there. There we go. We got my hemper hat on. So uh, this comes from uh, one of our members, uh, Gary West, uh, sent me this regarding uh, some spicy potatoes that he makes in the air fryer. And if anybody has any great recipes out there, send them to us. We'd love to share them on, on the. Uh,
0: Jim, we love to share the, screen.
1: Not only on our site, our um, but uh, with members here. He uses hemp oil. Now, where can you find hemp oil? Oh, there's a lot of places I know, but if you go to down on the farm.biz, you know, I'm sure we can order some. You can get some hemp oil from there as well. Um, And they'll bring up the pictures here, but very simple. You cut the potatoes.
0: There we go. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
3: All right. There. Yeah.
1: There we go. Now, uh, one thing about hemp oil um, is you can't deep fry with it, right? 325, 329 is the flash point, So you can't fry fry in it, but you can cook in it without a problem. Not a problem there. Um, So you just cut the potatoes up into little pieces like that. Um, put them in a bowl with some oil. In uh, their fryer, they use about a quarter cup. Sprinkle the spices, whatever spices you may like from the store, you can buy uh, or make up your own. They use a little bit of Mrs. Dash, which I love Mrs. Dash for sure. A bit of vegetable seasoning. Uh, put a plate or cover over the bowl, shake it, turn it around, put it in the coat, them and put them into the fryer um then you can go and then you can go however you want to come some people like their little fries their potatoes a little crispier some like them a little softer so whatever you like there uh Gary also uses it for uh, uh frying popcorn as well he says now this is not a health uh or, um, what do i want to say here statement. but he went to the doctor uh and his blood pressure was 118 over 82 so it hasn't been that low for years usually it's 130 to 140. <laughs> He's been working on the hemp oil, potatoes, and popcorn. He says, maybe it's the turkey that I had yesterday. He wasn't sure about
0: anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, blame that picture on the far right. Jim, if you could pull the pictures up again. That's in that air fryer. I did those potatoes in an air fryer. The the one in the middle are the ones that your buddy did. Yep, that's the one that Gary did. Uh, so, they, your air fryer works too. So, you have a, a few different ways to use hemp seed oil here. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Thank you.
1: All right so we want to thank everybody for joining us today um, great information uh, if any of you are interested in getting into the research project for uh, this upcoming year make sure you get a hold of Phil and James and that can you're looking for five growers five states what I'm understanding kind of thing
2: five yes. growers per state yeah across the four states yep four states okay four states. Well, I
1: know that uh, we have some I have members that are definitely going to be interested and we'll be getting in contact with you soon on that so they can get on that list because um, they want to help out and, uh, and they're experienced growers. So I'm sure they'll be interested in, in being part of the part of the team, that kind of thing. So, Awesome. All right, Dave, All right. anything you got, Dave?
0: No, sir. Just looking forward to it. We're going to have a small get-together December 10th. You'll look for an email with some information about that. We're going to get our hands dirty, play with some hempcrete, so awesome. hemp lime. And that'll be—we're gonna do that at Grow Green, right? Yeah, Grow Green—it's uh, near between me and Ann Arbor. It's like what, or south of Ann Arbor, Whitmore Lake, something like that. Mm-hmm. Information will be in the email. So go to ihepmichigan get on our email list, and you'll get the invite. Mm-hmm. And it'll be a nice time to get together and uh, kind of break
1: bread and have a good time with everybody. Yeah. So. If you're not doing anything. Come on out and join us, and we'll be talking. We'll be talking a lot more about things that are coming up uh, in the, this, this January and, and February. Uh, we definitely are going to have some educational sessions regarding um, the hemp building material. Uh, especially talking about the pro- all, the, all the projects that are going on this year. So, look forward for that. We'll be having a lot of those educational meetings around that, that people can attend: growers, um, processors, um, builders, architects. Supply chain, all that stuff would be important. So, yep. So, we'll Sounds see you all in a couple weeks. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.